Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning to everybody. It's good to see you. If I haven't said good morning to you, consider this your good morning. Um, I have uh, one little announcement that I was supposed to make last week that I didn't get to make last week because my brain didn't want to function last week. Um, and that is that uh, our spring outreach, the, the outreach, the, the mom, uh, uh, or uh, I guess we just called it a spring outreach, but we focused it on a family or a single mom or something like that. Um, we have done, we've given, we raised $1,500 for that. Um, we gave 500 of that to a single mom who was in some need, uh, and she was extremely, extremely appreciative of that. She, uh, I put it in a card, in a little gift card, and, uh, and I gave it to her, and I just, you know, I said, we just want to bless you, and um, she texted me uh, as, when I left the house, and she just said, oh, sir, I can't take this. Um, and I said, and she said, are you sure there's nobody else that needs it? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sure there is somebody that, that needs it. Um, but we want to bless you this time. And if you want to share that with somebody else, you're more than welcome to do that. But we just want to bless you. And she said, I just don't know how to say thank you. So um, that was a situation of, of a single mom who cannot work because of the situation at her house. And so we were extremely glad to do that. We're going to do the rest of it. Um, we're figuring out how it's going to lay out, but, but we want to work with the Simon House and we want to work with uh, Sunshine Center um, for single moms, uh, homeless moms, or uh, domestic abuse situations. Um, and so um, there's been a lot of things in our, in our church, a lot of connections I feel like we have with those kind of situations. And um, I'm excited to see where God might be taking some of that for us as a church, how we can become involved in those situations um, through some relationships that we already have and things like that. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but the rest of that money will go and I'll let you know when that happens and how it, exactly it went to be used. So um, just a little update there. Okay, well, we are continuing, Dear John, this series uh, where we're looking at the letter of 1 John. We're seeing that this letter is, uh, is, John starts out and he says, listen, I'm writing this letter so that you can enjoy fellowship with God. I want you to have fellowship, enjoy your relationship with God. I want you to have fellowship with us, enjoy your relationship with us and with one another. Um, and so that is the context that we are, we are approaching this letter in. And we talked at length about walking in the light versus walking in the dark. Um, we just sang that in one of our songs, Lord, I'm done with hiding. You know, we, we just sang that. Um, and so we're, we're finding that in a lot of places. But in John, uh, first John, he writes and he says, listen, I want you to enjoy fellowship with God. Enjoy your relationship with God without hiding, without shame. Um, and I'm telling you these things so that you can do that. You can walk in genuine relationship with God and with one another. Um, and we have to remember that, uh, I'll say it again, I said it last week, I said it the week before, this is a letter, okay? That means it was written as a letter. It was not written as a formal argument. It was not written as a formal speech or a, a setup for a debate or things like that. It's a letter from one man, the apostle John, uh, along with the other apostles, he says that, to the church or a church, okay? So we have to take everything that is in the letter in the context of that. It's one document. He didn't write it with chapters and verses. I don't know if you know that. I'm sure you probably know that, but as we read scripture, I want you to remember that and think about that fact that this does not start and stop where somebody decided to put numbers or headings in, in this letter, okay? So as we read, and we're gonna, we're gonna continue on reading this morning, I don't know if you've noticed, but we, don't, we haven't started at chapter one, verse one. Never mind, we did start at chapter one, verse one, okay? Because you have to. But we didn't stop at chapter two, or chapter one, verse whatever, and start the next week at chapter two and all that, okay? Um, we're not breaking it up by that because there's themes that John is writing that we're seeing, and, uh, and we're, so we're, we're taking it that way. 
Um, this morning, we have uh, uh, a bit of scripture that is a big bite to chew, okay? And so like if you were taking a big bite of steak that was too much for your mouth and you're trying to chew it down, right? You got to get it processed down a little bit before you can, you, can, you can process that and it can be useful for your body. So we're going to do a little bit of processing. And what I want to introduce you to is two words that you need to pay attention to, okay? Two words in this scripture that we're gonna, we're gonna read. And the first one is translated uh, the word remain, okay? Now we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This word that is translated remain is, uh, is, can be troublesome for us because if we read the word remain, we automatically go to the negative opposite of that, don't we? Which is leave, okay? So we automatically set ourselves up in this black and white remain versus leave, okay? I want you to know this Greek word, it's meno, M-E-N-O, and it is translated, in most situations, it is translated to the word stay. Now you might say, well, there's not a lot of difference. You can stay or you can go, right? We were gonna talk about that. But the word stay is not in that sense. It's, it's translated to the word stay in the sense of living, okay? Or being in. So, if, so like if you would say, hey, I'm gonna go on vacation and I'm gonna stay with my friends, okay? You live with that friend for however long, for a period of time, you live in the hotel for, that's, what it, that's kind of the context that this is normally translated in. Um, and we see that in, um, in John chapter one, in the gospel of John, he writes this, he says, and Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Same word, meno. Where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. So it's about living with, it's about being with, it's about dwelling. That word in the King James is translated um, abode or, or excuse me, abide. And we see that stretched over into abode. It's a place where you stayed, okay? It's about living in a place, um, and I think it'll be really helpful if you remember that word as we read here. And then the second word that, I, that we need to know before we get into this scripture is the word that is translated practice or practices, okay? That is the Greek word poieo, uh, and it means to do, but it means more than just to do. It means to um, bring forth or to make okay, or to produce something, to fashion something. It's the word that in a lot of other places, it is translated to bear. You bear fruit, okay? That's the same word. But for some reason, when they translated it here, they decided practice was a better interpretation. But we'll come back to this idea because John talks about bearing fruit in his gospel, and we're gonna get back to that. Um, but it means to like bring forth fruit, to produce fruit, out of something. A tomato plant bears tomatoes, right? Okay, so that's what we're talking, it's that, it's that idea. So the people that were reading this letter would have had that understanding of to practice or to produce or to bear something. So keep those things in mind. Those two words, remain, can also mean to live, to uh, dwell, to abide. Um, and the word practice means to produce or to bear. So we're going to read our scripture, and again, we'll come back to all this, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 2, two last verses, 28 and 29, and then we're going to read into chapter 3. 
And it says this, now little children remain in him. There's that word, start off right away. Live in him, right? Dwell in him, abide in him. Now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not draw back from him in shame at his coming. We're already in the context of light and dark. You see that? Being in him in the light. Okay, so we're not drawing back in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices, produces, bears righteousness also has been born of him. See how great the love of the father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices, again, that word bears, produces, sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him, lives in him, sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. All right, told you it was a big bite to chew, but we're gonna tackle it this morning. I will tell you right off the bat that this is a passage that will put you to work, okay? It will absolutely put you to work. It'll put you on the treadmill because, well, it says right here, the one who practices righteousness is righteous just as God is righteous, okay? So I better lace up my boots. I better buckle my belt a little bit tighter uh, and I better, uh, I better get to work because it is not time to relax. It is time to practice righteousness. So it'll put you to work. You see this? Looking at this section, section alone, or, or even the, a couple of verses, without the context of the letter, you get that. And you'll, and you'll learn that real quick. But again, these are not one-liners. This is a letter. And so we have to understand it in the context of the whole letter if we're going to actually understand what I believe John is trying to talk to us about or tell these people about. So we can absolutely get that I better get to work mentality if we read this scripture but I don't think that's what John is intending at all. And the reason I think that is the two words that we've already talked about, right? The two words that we've discussed when we read this passage, they tell us that this isn't about working for anything. This is about being, okay? It's about being. And remember, I talked last week uh, about my desire as a pastor is it's not to get you to behave correctly. That's not my desire as a pastor. And uh, my disaster, my, or my disaster, Whew, okay. My desire as a pastor, let's get that one right, um, is that you would be correct, okay? That you would be righteous, that you would be born again, and that you would understand that that is who you are and that is your, your context for you to actually be born again, to be made new, to be alive in Christ, 
to recognize the old has gone and the new has come, that the spirit of God is now in you because I believe that when you are born again and made alive in Christ because of grace, you will behave accordingly. And I think, honestly, when I read the scripture, when you read the scripture or when somebody reads the scripture and they say, oh, I better get to work and they see that, that tells me you're probably already born again because you have a desire to be righteous, right? You have a desire, that's who you are now. That's your desire, it's coming out of you. You want to, you want to read it, but you read it and you go, oh, that means I better get to work. I better start practicing, better start doing the righteous thing uh, in order for me to be established as righteous. It is your desire now. But I think that is a little bit of a misunderstanding in my opinion of what John is trying to say here. So in the context of this whole letter, John says, I want you to enjoy fellowship with God, to enjoy fellowship among yourselves in the light without shame in order for that to happen, okay? Because it's all continuing on. In order for that to happen, you need to know who you are in Christ. And here is who you are. 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. I love it that John clarifies that. He says, see how much God loves us, that he calls us his children, but not that he just calls us his children. He doesn't just call us that because he's nice. He doesn't just call us that because he's looking at us in that light. He calls us that because that is what we are. You understand that? He's not just looking at us with rose-colored glasses. That is what we are. We are, in fact, his children. So it's not just that he sees us that way. Something has happened. Something's happened in you and in me that we have been made his children. Something's happened. What's happened? How do you get to be his child? Birth happened, okay? Birth happened happened. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. You could say you were born or reborn, born a second time that way as his child, born again, born of the spirit. In John chapter three, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, listen, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. It is not optional. You must be born again. That's what he says. That's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born of the spirit. And so John is writing in this letter and he says, listen, if you're born again, this is who you are now. We are the children of God, children of God. We are his sons and his daughters because of his great love that he's given us. We are his children. That's who you are if you've been born again. That's the reality of who you are, okay? And don't get caught up in the term born again like, it's gotten politicized and I hate that it's gotten politicized. It is not a category of how people are gonna vote or whatever. Listen, this is a very real spiritual condition. Worldwide, it says, are you dead or are you alive? That's what this is. Born again is the difference between death and life. You must be born again, must be born again. So John writes, how great our God, our Father's love is for us that we are called his children and not just that we are his children. That is what we are. So I want you to know what you are. 
born again, born of the spirit, born anew, his boy or his girl. That's who you are. And John writes in his gospel more about this idea of being born again. In John 1 verse 12, he says, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. First Peter chapter one, he puts it this way, verse three, blessed be the God of our father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. Okay? This is why we interpret scripture through the resurrection because before being born again wasn't an option. It's not possible. But through the resurrection, now that is the case and that is the, that is the opportunity that we have. So through the resurrection, we can be born again and it's being his, born as his child. And what does it mean that you're born as his child? We're not talking about adoption. Okay, like that, that is another metaphor that gets used. Paul uses that. He says, we've not been given a spirit of slavery, but we've been given a spirit of adoption. Um, so that's a valid, valid uh, uh, metaphor there. But John writes and he says, listen, we've been born his children. We have been born as his sons and his daughters. First Peter 2, 23 or 1, 23 says, for you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For you have been born of God through a seed that is not imperishable. Some versions would say corruptible, right? Not through a corruptible means, not something that goes away. You have been born of God as his child, been born again of the seed which is incorruptible. What we're talking about here is spiritual DNA. Spiritual DNA. It's in your genetics. You are born of an imperishable seed. Some versions say incorruptible again, but this is DNA as his child. There's no denying it. It's incorruptible, okay? Later on in the, in the very letter that we're reading, in 1 John verse, or chapter 5, John says this, we know that no one who has been born of God sins, because, but he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him, okay? It's unchangeable. It's unchangeable. When you are, are born of God, it is in your DNA. We are his sons. We are his daughters. There's no denying it. There's no changing it. It's who you are. You've been born of God and he keeps you. So he says, my grandpa, um, my dad's dad, um, whenever he worked outside, always, always wore a hat because they lived in Florida and the Kurtzes are bald and he doesn't want to get crispy on top, all right? Because that's painful. So he always, absolutely always wore a hat. But I never saw my grandpa with his hat on straight. Didn't happen, Okay. I don't know if it's because the time period he was born and he grew up, but it did not land on his head straight. The bill was always up and it was always off kilter of his head, just a little bit, right? Can you picture what I'm saying? Like it's just up and off a little bit. Always, every single time he would put a hat on, that's how it landed. My dad 
is also bald. Uh, and my dad also doesn't like to get crispy on his head, so he wears a hat when he's working outside. And I can remember uh, a time when we were doing a, a fundraiser at church, um, and so we were in and outside of the church all day long, um, and so my dad had his hat on, and actually it was the night before that we were in, because it was like a smoked chicken dinner and we cooked all night at that point. But anyway, he's in the bathroom and he's washing his hands. So picture how you'd be washing your hands, right? Pump the soap, right? Get soap, you're washing them, you're scrubbing them, you're looking down at your hands. My dad is doing that and he looks up into the mirror and he says, uh-oh, uh-oh. No, he said, uh-oh, because his hat exactly was tilted up and it was sitting off to the side of his head. My dad said, uh-oh, because he thought it was dorky. He didn't like it, right? But he said, uh-oh, because he had his hat on the same way. You see what we're talking about? See what we're talking about? My dad had my grandpa's genetics, okay? My dad had my grandpa's genetics. It was in his DNA. He was born of my grandpa. Alvin Kurtz was his father. And guess what that produced in my dad? Alvin Kurtz mannerisms. Alvin Kurtz habits, okay? Because it was in his DNA, because it was in his genes, it was in the very fabric of who my dad was because he was born of Alvin, born from my grandfather. 1 John uh, 1, 29, or 2, excuse me, 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is John saying, listen, when you are made right, when you are made as you ought to be, because that is the definition of righteousness, okay? It is a state of being. It is not acts, it is a state of being. When you are as you ought to be, when you are made right, when you are made righteous, you will practice, you will produce, you will bear righteousness because it's in your genes, okay? It's in your genes. God is righteous, his son is righteous, and you who are born again are righteous. That's what John is saying. It is your state of being. It's a matter of spiritual DNA, spiritual genetics. You can't get around it, you can't, you can't change it. Listen, you can change a lot of things about yourself in this world, right? You can, you can start to put on makeup. You can get your hair cut. You can start working out. You can even take the shortcut and do the surgery, right? If you wanna do that, you can change all of those things, but you cannot change your genetics because you're born with it. You can't change your genes. You can't change your DNA. It's who you are. And when you're born again, you are born of your father, God. You are his child by birth when you're born again. And when you who are righteous, when you are righteous as he is righteous and you are his child, you will produce righteousness, okay? John says in, in, uh, in chapter uh, three, verse seven, the stickies are sticking together here. He says, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. You'll produce righteousness. You'll bear righteousness. 
Remember that word and that why that word is so important? You will bear righteousness. What I'm trying to tell you and what I think John is trying to write to this church, he's saying, listen, you're his child now, okay? We are his children. You are his child. Embrace that you are his child. Embrace it. Don't just tip your hat to it and say, thank you, sir, right? I appreciate that. Go on with your life. He's saying, embrace it. Put it on as your identity. I am his child. His DNA is in my very cells. His spirit runs through me at all times. I can't shake it. I don't wanna shake it. I'm his child. He's my dad. What if you woke up every single morning with a smile on your face because he's your dad and you get to go play with your dad today? What about that? As his kid, you can expect that the reality of your righteousness will show through. It is what you will produce. You will bear righteousness. You know, my dad, I said, he doesn't like to wear his hat that way because he thinks it looks dorky. So he doesn't wear his hat that way, but it still happens, okay? It still happens. He doesn't usually try to. But what if he decided he liked that look? What if he decided he liked the idea of wearing his hat with the bill tilted up and a little off to the center? What if he decided he liked that? Not because he just wanted to wear his hat like that, but because he knew his dad wore his hat that way and he liked the fact that his dad wore his hat that way and he wanted to look like his dad. What if? That'd be an easy switch for him to make, wouldn't it? Because right now the effort is in not wearing his hat that way. All he would have to do is put the hat on and walk around town. And the people who knew his dad would say, huh, look at that. Wendell wears his hat just like Al used to. See that? He's already Alvin Kurtz's son. He's already his son. It's a matter of recognizing that he is his father's son. And he likes that. He likes it. He's embracing that fact. He's embracing the fact that this runs in his DNA and what he puts his hat on and goes about his business, it's gonna land that way most of the time. John really has an, a hold of this idea of living in Christ and, and bearing or producing fruit out of that. If you re, actually, if you read the gospel of John and then you read his letter at the same time, you're gonna see a lot of similarities. It's almost like John concentrated the, his, his gospel down into like, here's the important stuff that you need to know, right? On, in his letter in 1 John. So especially in, in chapters 14 and 15. But in chapter 15, John uses this, this word again, this poieo, this practice, okay? And he also uses the word to remain, to live, to abide, to dwell in. He uses these words again when he talks about the image of the vine and the branches, okay? Now, Jesus is telling this story, but John is writing it down. So John uses his thought process and his imagery for how it comes out. So I want you to pay attention to this as we read, because you can read this, just like we read the first at the beginning of the message, you can read it and say, oh, I better get to work producing some fruit. I better get to work bearing fruit. But I want you to pay attention as we read it here, okay? So John chapter 15, one through five, he says this. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it 
so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here's our words, okay? Remain in me and I in you. Live in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear, produce fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now remember those words that we talked about. Practice, we said it's the same Greek word as, as to bear, as to produce, right? It means, it means that. Um, that's the same word that we find here in this passage. The word live or remain is the same word, meno. It means to, to live in, to dwell in. Now you can read this and you can be afraid and you can say, listen, you know what? I read this and it says, remain in me. Therefore, I don't wanna leave him. And if, I, if I'm not producing fruit, then I'm not, I'm not remaining in him. And I don't wanna be the one that gets cut off and thrown into the fire, right? You can read it that way. Absolutely, you can interpret it that way. But I need you to see this. Jesus says, live in me and I in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you live in him and he in you. He is the vine, okay? He's the vine, you're the branches, the one who lives in him and he in them, he's the one that produces fruit. On your own, you can do nothing. This is his point. Who is doing the bearing? Who's doing the fruit bearing? You cannot bear fruit, he says, unless you live in him and he lives in you. So who is doing the, who is the weak link in this scenario? You are, we are, I am. I can't do anything on my own. So who's producing the fruit? The vine has no trouble producing the fruit on its own. Connected to the vine, I can do nothing. So who's producing the fruit? Christ in me. Not me, not of my own, Christ in you. Why? Because it's literally in your DNA now. Literally in your DNA it is not hard work to be who I am. It's not hard work. The one who bears righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. It's in your DNA now. Embrace it. Embrace it. Now you can say, okay, pastor, but there's this line here where, where John is writing in his letter and he says, listen, no one who is born of him sins and no one who remains in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Well, is John suggesting that I, if I know him, I will never sin? Okay, is he suggesting that if I'm born of God, born again, that I will no longer sin? Because let's be honest, I sinned yesterday, I probably sinned this morning. Does that mean I'm not born of him? Read it again. Read it again. First John Three, seven. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices, the one who produces, the one who bears righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices, bears, produces sin is of the devil and the devil, for the, excuse me, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed, his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. If we interpret this to mean that if I sin, I'm not of God, but when I do righteous th things, I am of God, there's a whole lot of birthing and unbirthing happening here, okay? 
And that's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. This says that the son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. If God destroys something, it's gone. Do you understand that? It's destroyed. The work of the devil is the spiritual death that you and I inherited from Adam and Eve. If you're righteous by birth, your nature has changed. The son of God destroyed the works of the devil. The work of the devil is your dead nature. He has destroyed, he appeared to destroy the works of the devil that you might be made spiritually alive, born of God. You are righteous and you can expect that bearing, producing righteousness is now your natural state. It's who you are. When you embrace the truth that you are now a new creation, born of the spirit with his DNA, the DNA of your father living inside of you, you're not gonna wanna produce sin any longer. You're not gonna wanna practice sin any longer. You don't want to. That's not who you are, right? That's not who you wanna be. And embracing the fact that not only is that not who I want to be, Embracing the fact that that is not who you are only puts you further from producing or wanting to produce sin. Because now you're continually aligning yourself with who you are in Christ and who he says you are, a child of God, born of God, alive to God, dead to sin. It's a turning and a repenting from the sin and from the old identity of that sin. It's not who I am. But there's still a struggle in daily life, in the daily trenches, isn't there? Still a struggle. And I think John recognizes that. He says it in in chapter three, verse two. He says, beloved, now we are children of God. So he establishes, we're children of God, okay? Okay. And then he says this, and it has not yet, or it has not appeared as yet what we will be. In other words, we are children of God, but it doesn't always look like that. It hasn't appeared yet as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. We'll be like him without sin, right? We'll be like him in the state that he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We are children of God, but it may not always appear that way yet. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him without sin. And everyone who has this hope, the hope that we will be like him without sin, a hope that's set on him, not set on me, but a hope set on him, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. The hope purifies just as he is pure. We started this section of scripture with John saying, now little children live in him. And then we wrapped up this section with John saying, no one who has been born of Christ produces sin or bears sin because his seed abides in him. So we start off by saying, we live in Christ. And now we're saying Christ lives in us. That's all encompassing. Embrace it. Let that be 
how you see yourself. You are his son or his daughter. You are his child. This is why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Depending on the father, you're his child. So let this be a Dear John letter to your old identity. It's a Dear John letter to living in shame. How do, we, how do we walk away from that? How do we stop hiding? How do we do that? We recognize that we're his child and it's a Dear John letter to the old identity. That's not me. I'm not embracing that. I'm moving on. Sorry, flesh. Sorry, dead identity. That's not me. I'm alive now. I got a new dad. Let it go. Let it go. And I promise you, because it's the fruit that I see in my life and I see in the lives of so many around, that when you embrace that you are his child, that you have been made new, that you have been changed, that you are born again, that something has actually happened, that his spiritual DNA runs in your veins now, and that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when you embrace it, you get to be who you are in Christ. And that's not hard. That's not work. That's rest. That's not a heavy burden. That's light to be who you are in Christ because he's already made you that. You're his child. And what you produce is consistent with your identity because it's Christ in you. He's the vine. He's the producer, not you. Another place that we see this idea of bearing fruit comes in Matthew chapter seven. And Jesus talks about this idea of, of bearing fruit. Now he talks about it in the context of false prophets, okay? And he says, beware of these false prophets, but you'll know them by their fruit because you produce out of you, the, the fruit you produce comes out of who you are inside. Pay attention to who they are inside. John writes this. He says, or excuse me, this is Matthew. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He said there's nothing there, okay? They're not who they say they are. There's, there, there's something different inside them. What they are is not as they would appear. You will know them by their fruits, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. This whole idea of fruits and producing fruit and bearing fruit Think about a tree that bears fruit. I always use an apple tree, right? An apple tree, a good apple tree will produce good apples. Does that mean there will never be any worms in those apples? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that the apple tree produces apples that are good to eat. You know what kind of apple tree does not produce good, good uh, fruit to eat? A crab apple tree. And you can eat it but it's sour to the point of being bitter. If you put a bunch of sugar on it, you can make jelly out of it, but man, it's rough, okay? Did you know a crab apple tree will never grow 
apples other than a crab apple unless somebody has grafted something else into it. It will only ever produce crab apples. It will never produce good fruit. But an apple tree that produces good apples will always produce those kinds of good apples. It doesn't mean that there won't be disease that comes in and takes over. It doesn't mean that, that there won't be worms in that fruit. But guess what? That's not the apple's tree job. The apple tree's job, is it? It's the farmer's job to take care of that. A tree produces the fruit that it is inside and it was bringing out. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you're gonna know them by their fruit because of what's in them, okay? You will produce what is inside. Let go of your old identity and embrace yourself as a new creation, recognizing that as John says, we're not, we don't appear yet as we will be. But that doesn't change the DNA that runs in your veins, the spiritual DNA that lives inside of you. Sure, there might be some worms or some apples or in, your, in your apples, right? You might have some worms. We don't want worms. But it's apples that are worth of eating. We are not yet as we will be. If you can let go of your old identity and embrace yourself as a child of God, you can find peace and rest in him. It's not work. You can find a loving father that likes it when you wear your hat the way he does because it's who you are. And guess what? When you embrace it, you'll like the way it looks too because it's the way your dad wears his hat. Because you're his, you'll like it. Why don't y'all stand up to your feet? I don't think we can be reminded too much of our real and genuine identity. I don't think we can hear it often enough. We're his. We are his children. Yes, we've been adopted in because we're, we're not Jewish. And so we've been adopted into that family in that way. But we have become his because we are born as his. That's a genetic thing. You can't change it. And it affects the way you look. Okay, my kids can't choose not to look like me. They can't deny it. I'm sorry, right? You can't deny it. They're my kids. Guess what? You put them in a setting of their mom uh, with their mom's side of the family. They all look like her too. It's pretty amazing. We look like our parents, right? Because it's genetic. You will produce righteousness because you are righteous. Doesn't mean you're never gonna sin again. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna have a pretty bad sin habit that keeps coming around and keeps trying to get back in. But we let the farmer take care of the bad, wormy fruit in our lives. And he's gonna prune it back. And he prunes it back. It produces good fruit the way that it comes in out of you naturally. So let's just sing a little bit more about who we are in Christ. Let's sing about our Father in heaven who loves us and let's pray before we do that. Father God, we just give you this, the rest of this morning's worship time. We recognize who you are as our dad, as our good dad, as our father, um, who we can never, ever say thank you enough to. God, you have adopted us in and you have made us new. 
every image possible that we, would, that we could be uh, your child, you have given us and you have validated and you said this is who we are. And so we're expecting to look like you. We're expecting to behave like you. We're expecting to have those things come out of our lives for, because of who you made us to be, because of the work that you've actually done in us. So Father, I just pray that over our church, that we would see more and more of that, that as we press into identity as your child, that we would see that fruit in our lives. We would recognize those places where we look like you and we would smile and we would like it, that we would wake up every morning knowing we're your child and we get to go play with you in this life. Come on. God, you're so good to us. And I pray that that is our identity and we recognize that every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.